Have you ever thought about all the things that go well for you moment by moment and you have absolutely no control over? So take, for example, your circulatory system. The heart beats approximately 72 times each minute throughout the course of our lives. Sometimes, of course, it slows down when you're asleep. It speeds up um, when you need more blood because you're exercising or you're nervous, so your brain needs more blood. And blood is flowing into and out of your heart with each beat. The heart sends blood without oxygen to your lungs to keep them running. Your lungs send back oxygenated blood to your heart. Your heart sends that oxygenated blood everywhere else in your body. Some places, like your brain, uh, need an inordinate amount of blood, like disproportional, the weight and the size of your brain to the rest of your body, but your brain is 2% of the weight of your body, 15 to 20% of the blood supply goes there. So your body knows how much blood is needed in each place. And then places like your brain, they use this oxygenated blood and then it sends back deoxygenated blood to your heart, which the lungs need, and so the circulatory system goes round and round. And some of you know about this a lot better than me, but it was fascinating to me to learn about it this week. It's really fascinating. And the blood functions as both a supplier, so it supplies that deoxygenated blood to your lungs, but also a cleanser. It sends the stuff that your brain doesn't need, kind of the waste materials, back to your heart, which it functions as supplies to the rest of the stuff. The stuff. See, that just goes to show how little I know. <laughs> with my, that wasn't in the notes. <laughs> but that's just the heart. Like, the brain goes through five trillion processes a second, according to a surgeon, Dr. Paul Brand. And those are just two examples, the brain, the heart, the circulatory system, Two examples of things that are going well for you right now, and you have absolutely no control over it. And there's many, many more examples, both within and without us. All of that is grace. It's a good thing that you did nothing to earn. You did nothing to deserve your heart beating last minute, or this minute, or the next minute. You did nothing. And more specifically, it's common grace. Common grace refers to the gift of God that is common to all mankind. It's common because the benefits are experienced by the whole human race without distinction between one person, one gender, one ethnicity, and another. Between one group of people who believe and follow Christ, one group of people who don't believe or follow Christ, common grace applies to all people. And it's all undeserved, but it's all given by God. And you're not going to find that term, common grace, in the Bible, but you will see the principle. Look at Psalm 145, verse 9. The psalmist writes, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he's made. So the goodness and the compassion of God towards every creature is common grace. That's expressed in rest, food, work, relationships, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy these things, right? Or look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even the wicked, unrighteous person gets to enjoy the benefits of common grace. Common grace is all around us. 
No matter what your situation is, who you are, where you live, or how long your heart beats, we all have grace and we're all responding to this common grace, this common gift of life. Because grace isn't just received, it always entails a response. The question isn't if there's grace for us, but how we respond to the grace that's been given to us. So sometimes, like, when I'm asked a question, whether it's with a close friend or with my wife, I'm guilty of not responding. Um, I forget, or, like, I, I answer in my head, and it just doesn't come out my mouth. Maybe some of you guys are the same way. And then I get sidetracked, and I start thinking about something else. It's like, hey, I need an answer. Well, with grace, we all are responding. Even a lack of response is a response. It's saying, oh, I just got diverted and something else took my attention because I, I, I respond with no response. That, all I'm saying is a non-response is a response. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Paul said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what's due us for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. And here's my point, is we only have something to be judged over God is going to judge each one of us. And we only have something to be judged over because we first had something given to us. If we didn't have life, if we didn't have the circulatory system that's functioning given to us, then we couldn't make choices, even non-responsive choices. We only have something to be judged over because we first received something. We first had something given to us. And so Paul's aim in our passage today is to urge his audience to respond appropriately to the grace of God. To not take God's grace in vain. To not make it futile, but to make it work towards its proper and intended ends. So before we read our passage, I need to introduce you to one more idea. Um, and that's saving grace. Because Paul is talking about not common grace, but saving grace. And when you see the word grace in the New Testament, it's typically referring to this idea. And this, this idea of saving grace is the undeserved, the unearned favor from God, which starts, sustains, and finishes our relationship with God. A right relationship with God is all of grace. Nothing that you bring to the table, nothing I bring to the table. It's all God's doing. So last week, we looked at this picture as part of our message. And this picture uh, depicts what grace is. That apart from, without that cross, bridging the gap between sinful people and a holy God, we all deserve death. There is no way we can bridge that gap on our own. But grace is undeserved, unmerited favor, undeserved goodness. What we do deserve is not good. We all deserve death. We all deserve no right relationship with God. But because of what God did in sending Jesus to die in our place and raising him back to life from the dead, anybody who trusts him as Lord and Savior can experience this right relationship with God. So grace doesn't just save us. It doesn't just cleanse us from all of our sin. It also sustains us. It keeps us on that cross. It keeps us in right relationship with God. It grows us in that relationship. And then ultimately, we cross and we become a new creation. 
We get new bodies. We become perfected. And that's God's doing. That's grace. We don't deserve any of it. And so God wants us to understand what it means to rightly respond to grace because all of our relationship with him is dependent on grace, on what he has done for us. We are responding to him. We need to learn to respond rightly. So our passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking in verses 1 through 10. It'll be on the screen now, but not all of it will fit on the screen later. So uh, open your Bibles there if you'd like to follow along, and I'll read our passage. Paul writes, And working together with him, with God, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in, much, in, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. So Paul urges the Corinthians, in light of what God has done for you in Christ, respond to grace rightly. What are you going to do with grace? How should you respond to it appropriately? And I see three responses that he is encouraging them towards. And the first is that the Corinthians should respond confidently. You see this in verse 1 and in the first half of verse 2. And the confidence in responding to grace is not of ourselves, but confidence in God. Because this is something that God is doing, something that God is giving. He says, working together with him, with God. He just had said before in chapter 5 that we're ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. So we're working together with God. And then he quotes what God said in Isaiah 49. For God said at the acceptable time I listened and on the day of salvation I helped you. So it's not what we say, it's not what we do, but how we respond to grace appropriately is confidence in God. And confidence for me normally comes from my own ability to do things I've told some of you before about the story starting this church. I had a, a hard time because there was a lot of things that I was required to do that I didn't know if I had the ability to do it or not. Confidence normally comes from our own ability and experiences to do things. But grace says, actually, you're not able to do that on your own. You are needy. 
That's what grace implies. You are needy and you need to receive a gift from God. You need God's help. But we can respond to grace and be confident that we have God, that we have God's help. We have what we need because we have him. Dallas Willard is a, he's now deceased, but he's a very helpful and influential Christian philosopher. And he described the kingdom of God as the presence and the power of God. The kingdom is what Jesus preached. Behold, the kingdom is at hand. That was the good news that Jesus preached. And so look at this passage again, that God's presence and God's power is guaranteed. It's promised. God's presence, I listened to you. God's power, I helped you. So we should respond confidently, not in what we bring to the table, because we just bring neediness. But we can respond confidently to grace because of what he has promised. God is present and powerful among you if you're a follower of Christ. He has promised to listen and help you. And that leads us to the second response. The second appropriate response to grace is to receive it currently. And that's in verse 2, the second half. And if if there's one thing I want you to hear today and just reflect on this scripture for the rest of today or the rest of even this hour, it's this part of the verse. I think this is the heart of this passage. He, he, he's quoting Isaiah when he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, on the day of salvation I helped you. And then Paul says, behold, pay attention, heads up, now is the time. Behold, now is the day. Behold, God's presence and power is available now. That's exactly what Jesus came proclaiming. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. It's still here now. It's not yet here fully, but it's here now. So Paul is saying, don't receive God's grace in vain. He's saying, believe God's grace is available for you right now. Everything that you need is available for you in Christ right now. God's presence and God's power is here now. The kingdom is at hand. So you can respond right now. And the beautiful thing about right now is, and this promise, is it continues to the next right now and the next right now. And that's the third appropriate response to grace that Paul models here. He's modeling it because he's letting the Corinthians into his own experience of how he is continuing to respond to grace, continuing to follow Christ. So he, he responds continually. Verses three through 10, he shows that Responding to grace does not depend on your circumstances. Your life is not just whatever circumstance you find yourself in and hoping to get in a better circumstance next. Your life in Christ is continual response to grace. Continuing to experience the presence and the power of God in the midst of whatever you're going through. And Paul lists a whole bunch of difficulties. But did you notice what he said before the list? He said, we respond to grace, giving no cause for anything, giving no cause for offense in anything, anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So he's kind of prepping us for what's coming. He says, in anything, in everything, we show ourselves to be God's servants. 
we show ourselves to be faithful. And what that means is that God's grace is sufficient for your faithfulness. When you rely on God's grace, you have everything you need to be faithful. And success in the Christian walk is not attending a church with a lot of people. It's not knowing a lot about your Bible. Success is faithfulness to God. Faithfulness in relationship with God, which overflows into faithfulness in relationship with others. And you have everything that you need to be successful because God's grace is sufficient in everything, in anything. God's grace is always enough, which means you can be faithful. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying it's possible. It's available. So let's look at that list a little bit. Uh, Paul starts with general difficulties in verse 4. He says, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. These are general difficulties. Then he moves on to more specific difficulties in verse 5. In beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. These are things, both of these lists are things that Paul has personally experienced as he has relied on God's grace. So God's grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a path to easy life. This is a path to faithfulness. It's fuel for faithfulness. And as you move towards faithfulness, even in the midst of difficult situations, you will be changed. And that's what Paul points to next with the list of character attributes in verses 6 and 7. Grace moves us towards developing godly character, towards change. He says in verses 6 and 7, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. We have all that we need. Our hands are full of what we need to live the calling that we have, to live righteously. We're made righteous when we accept Christ. Now we're called to live that to live the right way. And none of us do it perfectly, but that's the direction that we're all headed as Christ followers. And so he finishes the list with a bunch of paradoxes. And I think what Paul is saying is even in the midst of difficulties, as we grow in our character, we will be living a faithful life, but a faithful life is often a paradoxical life. Paradox paradox and paradoxical, paradoxical, What I mean by that is it's something that seems absurd. It seems self-contradicting, but it's actually true. And so let's look at these paradoxes. By glory and dishonor, we live faithfully. By evil report and good report. Some people hate us, some people love us, but we live faithfully. We are regarded by some as deceivers, yet we know that we're true, and some people know that we're true. We're regarded as unknown, yet we are well-known. We're regarded as dying, yet behold, we live. As punished or disciplined, but not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, but possessing everything. Because grace is sufficient for us to be faithful, and faithfulness is success. And that is what Paul's saying validates the ministry 
That's how people listen to him and keep listening to him and follow him. It validates him as a servant of God. So following Christ is not easier for us now that we're a couple thousand years removed from the time of Paul. Technology gives us no shortcuts for inner transformation. We still are called to live a life which seems absurd, seems impossible, but it's really true and it's really possible. And that's only possible because of grace. So the question, again, it's not is grace available? The question is, what are you going to do with grace? What are you going to do with it? So let's spend some time applying this um, and let's just go through a couple of the things on Paul's list. Uh, think about what's going on in your life. And think specifically about what are the good things that you're pursuing? Maybe growth in your walk with God. Maybe you're pursuing parenting your kids well. Maybe praying for and pursuing your lost friends, your friends who don't know Christ. Those are good things that you're pursuing. Now, think about what are some of the general difficulties that you're going through. There might be someone here that's overcome by sadness and despair. Maybe someone who's just struggling through not having clarity on their life, not knowing what's next. The general difficulty of being hurried and feeling anxious or just being exhausted. And think through your life and what specific difficulties. Maybe it's a health struggle. Maybe it's looking for a spouse and the emotional turmoil that comes with that. Looking for a new job or for a job. Maybe it's just a sense of condemnation because you're not doing as well as you'd like. So thinking about your life and, and those things, how might you respond to grace in the midst of that? And not when those difficulties are gone, but right now. Because behold, now his grace is available to you. Paul's not trying to diminish your struggle, neither is God, but he is saying my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's enough. Look to my grace first. And you can be confident no matter what you're going through, that God's grace is enough. And God's grace should remind you of your right relationship with him and how he is continuing to work in your life to develop you into the person that he's calling you to be and how ultimately at the end, he will finish what he started. He will make you perfect. Those things reframe, they, they put in a different perspective all of our difficulties. They don't make them go away. But just like the body is fueled by blood, just like our cars run on gasoline and not on water, our faithfulness is fueled by grace. And the good news is, God's grace is unlimited for you 
if you are in Christ. And by valuing grace first, above an easy life or above these difficulties being diminished, you have what you need. I have what I need to be faithful. Grace fuels faithfulness. When you respond rightly, trusting that it's available, that it's enough, it will fuel your faithfulness and you'll experience God in the process. So if you're here and you're not a Christ follower or or you're not sure, I just want you to know God's grace is available for you right now. And you can start the journey because whether you have come to this point or not, I guarantee you, whatever is fueling your life right now, if it's not grace, it's going to run out. And running on fumes is not a very healthy or enjoyable way to live. It's not a sustainable way to live. Grace is what we're meant to run on. So eventually your confidence will be broken. You won't be able to meet your need. And you'll be continually searching for the next thing. You'll be looking for purpose and meaning in life, just like we all are. Nobody became a Christ follower without first admitting, I'm utterly broken. I cannot do this on my own. Christ, I need your forgiveness and I need your leadership. I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my Lord. And Christian, if you believe that, commit to showing and telling the world of the incredible grace of God that you run on daily. The only reason that grace is available is because of Jesus' death and resurrection, both common and saving grace. He paid the price when he died. And God raised him to life so that we can live confidently, currently, and continually in the love and the grace of God. Grace is available. The only question is, what are we going to do with it? So let's pray together. Father, if there's someone here who's never trusted in your grace, just what you've done alone, not what they bring to the table uh, to make their relationship with you right, uh, would you move them to do that right now? And if that's you, just tell God, I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve your forgiveness I don't deserve to be in a right relationship, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross and with his death paid for my sins and I believe he rose again and I want to follow him, turn from my way of living to his way of living. And if you told God that or something like that, tell someone else. We need each other. God, all of us need your grace. Our efforts on our own are puny and futile. Apart from your grace inspiring and sustaining us, we need you. Thank you for being available and powerful among us. Continue talking to God about how you've been responding to his grace and then just receive it again. It's available to you now.